0: Our Bible reading this morning is from Romans chapter 8 and I'll be reading from verses 28 down to 39 and it is on page 1610 in your Bibles. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus died. More than that was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord.
1: Uh, When I catch up sometimes with people who are investigating Christianity, the question I'll ask is... uh, What is it that's stopping you uh, from putting your trust in Jesus? Just seems like an obvious question to ask. Let's let's deal with the uh, first things first. Uh, But I want to frame that slightly differently today, that question, um, because I want to talk particularly to those of you who are followers of Jesus and would own that in a straightforward way. And I want to ask this question. Uh, Can you think of what might stop you from following Jesus? Can you think of anything that could cause you... Uh, to give up your trust in Jesus. Because if you've been around Christian circles for a while, uh, you, like me, will know people who used to come to church and no longer do. Or you will know of people who once said that they were followers of Jesus and now say that they are not followers of Jesus. So I guess the question I want to ask you is, can you imagine anything that could happen in your life to you that might cause you, or yeah, the place where you think you're most susceptible to being undermined in your trust in Jesus. You know, maybe it's, um, uh, you can imagine if you were in a country where you are overtly persecuted uh, for being a follower of Jesus, and that troublesome situation might cause you to say, oh, I'll no longer identify with Jesus because of the cost. Last weekend, some of us were at a CMS conference and hearing from people overseas who are in exactly that situation who've suffered enormously for following Jesus. Uh, Maybe it would be more uh, at that personal level of well-being, Uh, possibly if God allowed you to to get some really serious sort of sickness, uh, a cancer or to become a quadriplegic. Or maybe just suffer with extraordinarily debilitating depression that just sapped you of almost that will to live. You learn that ability to trust God, maybe to be something like that. For me, as I've thought through the question, and I've said this to Sue, that, that I reckon the area that I'd be most susceptible, I think, is if people I loved were seriously damaged in some way. I think that that would be the thing I would find I I think I would just generally find that the hardest and have found those sort of situations the hardest in my life and the times where uh, I've asked the most deep sort of questions uh, and struggled in different ways. Can you work it out for yourself? Are you aware of where that that point is for you. When you come to the Bible, and particularly the passage we've been looking at over the last three weeks, Romans chapter 8, it anticipates that the Christian life is a struggle. Listen again to verse 18 of chapter 8. Paul the Apostle says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And the passage we just heard read, it talks about uh, suffering, uh, the struggle with sin, uh, death, uh, persecution, famine, and all sorts of things that can actually occur in our lives. Paul is really transparent and straightforward. He's a realist when it comes to living in this world. But notice also what he says right at the end of that passage it was just read. He says, I am convinced, convinced, that in effect nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He is totally convinced that you can know of the love of God now and for all eternity and he is rock solid confident even in the face of the struggles. Now I want to ask you, where does that confidence come from? That security it's a wonderful chapter of the Bible. It starts with no condemnation and finishes with no separation. And in it contains the great promises that secure us for all eternity. So let's briefly look at them. There's uh, an outline on the leaflet if you'd like to follow on. It gives you some idea where we're heading. Firstly, uh, God's unstoppable plan, verses 28 to 30. We, we covered this last week ever so briefly. Uh, Verses 28 to 30, I think, contain the key to contentment in this world with all its struggles. That is, God is working for our good in everything. And we saw that the good that God has in mind is to make us more like his son, Jesus. And the reality is that God promises he will use suffering and struggles and challenges in this world to achieve that outcome in his providence and in his grace. And I want to say that is so true when I speak to people who've gone through the struggles and who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, the way they've been refined in that process. You'll know it yourself. But I want you to note the, um, the scope of these verses, the extent of them. Verses 29 to 30. Let me read them again. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. The, the time frame in these verses is from before the foundation of the earth, before creation, to the very end of time. Just in a couple of verses, we, we gain the whole scope. Of the framework of God's promises the purpose that many will be conformed to the likeness of Jesus now here's the question how does that happen how does that happen and you see here how it happens God is the architect God achieves it did you hear the words being used in those verses they're all in the past tense for new, predestined, called, justified, glorified. See who who controls this process of making people like Jesus? Well God does. Therefore, how confident says Paul can we be that we will spend eternity with God? Well, absolutely confident. Because God will achieve it. It's not not up to us. It's up to God himself. And that's a wonderfully reassuring state of play. But let me say, these verses have been quite controversial and have caused Christians a lot of anxiety over the years. Now, let me tell you why. Is it fair? Is it fair that God foreknows and predestines some to be in relationship with himself and some not to be? That sort of question comes up. It raises questions about our responsibility. Surely we have a responsibility to do something when it comes to these uh, promises of God and securing them. Surely it's not all up to God. Does that mean no one can ever fall away? Because if God determines it was going to happen and will happen, you can't do anything to cause it not to happen, can you? And then there's the question that's often raised by people. Why would you tell anyone the gospel? Because I mean... Our sharing the gospel with anyone, the good news about Jesus, doesn't make any difference anyway, because it's all up to God, isn't it? All those sort of questions get raised, and these verses have raised those questions. And I want to say they're real questions, and what I want to do is give you the same answer that Paul the Apostle gives to all these questions, right? Here it is. Okay, got it? Do you understand he doesn't answer any of those questions? He doesn't even try to answer those questions. Because the point of this passage and these statements is not to do with controversy or theological debate. It's all to do with security. The security of the person who trusts in Jesus in the promises of God. That's what this is all about. And if you have the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, then sure, you'll have questions. But you'll have clarity about who God is. So if you have the Spirit of God, of course you know that God is profoundly fair. If you have the Spirit of God, do you ever think, oh, it doesn't matter what I do, does it? Of course not. You want the very things that God wants for your life. You cooperate with him in that process because you have the spirit. If you have the spirit of God, do you think, well, it doesn't matter whether I share the good news about Jesus with anyone or not? No. You're desperately keen for people to know about God's grace and mercy. The road to heaven, let me say, it, it is full of struggles. But God promises and he delivers John Piper is a fairly well-known American Christian author and in his book future grace he talks about these verses in this way he says live inside this promise and then your life and confidence will be rock-solid outside it is only confusion anxiety fear, and uncertainty. That they are rock-solid promises of the sovereign and gracious God. Then what Paul does in this section, he goes on and he explores the foundation for our confidence, why we can be confident. How do, how do we know that God will keep his word and deliver us into his very presence in due course? Well, verse 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, um, statistically speaking, uh, if you think about Christianity worldwide, uh, you could probably think actually lots of people can be against us. (laughs) If God is for us, who can be against us? Uh, Well, Christians are opposed within our culture. they're, They're opposed right throughout the world. But of course, that's not the point that's being made here. And nor is it saying if God's for us, bad things won't happen to us. That's clear even from the context. Hardship, hunger, killed, suffered for Jesus, right? If God is for us, those things can still happen. But the plan is to shape us like Christ and bring us to glory, right? If God's in your corner, then the point here is what or who can muck up his plans? But then you've got that first question. Is... God for you right is he in your corner when do you doubt that the most uh, do you find it's when you're going through pain either physically or emotionally do you find it's when you're really tired I think it's the other time that I, I find myself not being able to believe anything it's just when I'm exhausted and can't string two thoughts together Maybe uh, you find us a bit like that for you. Maybe it's in the face of death and you think God, God's promises, are they really real? I've got um, three funerals on Thursday and Friday. It's an unusual cluster for me. Uh, people, All people I know pretty well. Do God's promises, do they endure through that maybe for you you're tempted to doubt when it comes to temptation something that um, you store up as a desire and you know it's inconsistent with what God wants and therefore you're tempted to displace the promises of God in order to pursue that sort of thing how do you know If God is for you, what Paul says is you know, because of God's commitment to us at the cross. Verse 32 contains one of the most precious promises in the whole Bible He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Uh, the point being made, and Paul's been elaborating this all the way through the first half of the book, is that uh, we have a problem. We, we, rege- we reject God. It's sin, and uh, therefore we deserve the judgment of God. And God in his kindness sends his son to die on a cross and take the punishment that we deserve. Now, that's the gracious work of what he does for us in his own son, gives him up, for us all, and that means on the day of judgment, when you stand before God, you can be forgiven, justified, glorified, because of what Jesus has done for you. But I wonder if you picked up the logical force of the argument that Paul is using here. It's a um, it's a much more argument. Um, be like if I um, said to Colin, uh, Colin. I've realized I have this uh, debt problem and I need to borrow $10,000 and uh, would that be okay? And so Colin, who's always carrying a lot of cash around, pulls out his wallet and says, no problem, Paul. Actually, no, he'll transfer it straight from his account to mine, right? And I go, see, that's wonderful. We have that sort of symbiotic relationship where he just gives me money at, at 10000 bucks. okay? Okay, change that. Let's say I've secured that promise for, from Colin. And instead I come to him having just secured that promise saying, no, don't worry about the $10,000. What I need is 20 bucks for petrol. I've driven all the way from town down here, didn't realize how far it was and I now have no petrol. Can I borrow 20 bucks? The fact that I've secured the $10,000 guarantee, how, how likely do you think it is I'll get the 20 bucks? Pretty likely, right? That's the nature of the argument here in verse 32. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? If this, then of course that. Do you understand? If you understand what God's done for us in his son, of course everything else that goes with it is going to be yours. No questions asked. God's done the tough, big thing. And therefore, he'll give us all things. The all things mentioned in verse 28 and verse 32. And the all things here, friends, they're not the health, the prosperity, the happiness, the peace from enemy enemies, the healing. They're not the all things that have been mentioned. All for our good, make us more like Jesus. He will do that. He goes on. God justifies, therefore, who can accuse. Verse 33 who will bring any charge against them? those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Uh, the idea of justification is to make people right with God who don't deserve it. Of course, how does God do that? Well, he does it by providing the sin sacrifice in Jesus that we rely on. We can't justify ourselves. God justifies us, makes us right with him through the forgiveness he offers based on Jesus' death, For our sin, that's the basis. God clears the guilty, and then he goes on and uh, and says, and the whole thing is that Jesus intercedes for us. Therefore, no one can condemn us. It's interesting, thing isn't it? On the day of judgment, every single sin. Your failure to treat other people properly, your immorality, your thoughts, it'll all be exposed on the mega big screen uh, to be seen. Nothing will be left out, all very clear, nothing hidden, all straightforward, right? And you would think that this is a potential day of maximum embarrassment right? Uh, as you think about your life displayed uh, for all to see. But no one will condemn you. Verse 34, who is he that condemns? Actually, you know, uh, there are probably hundreds of people in your life that could point the finger at you. But it won't be possible for that to happen. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and he's interceding for us. Uh, Jesus is portrayed here as um, like a good defense attorney, right? Not in the Hollywood style, you know, where uh, you see um, solicitors and lawyers who stand up and they they have great eloquence and they use clever tricks and they try and con people and that sort of thing. Uh, Nothing like that. But Jesus is a brilliant advocate. And the way he advocates for us is like this he's the all-powerful one who is at the right hand of God the one who died for our sins and when we come before God on the day of judgment Jesus will stand and if you put your trust in him he will say this one I died for Therefore, there is no condemnation for them. This one I died for. He pleads for us on that basis. Uh, Isn't that a wonderful thing? That you can know that when you stand before God on that day of judgment, the Lord Jesus will stand, the one who died on the cross for you, and he will say, Richard, I died for you Sue I died for you Sharon I died for you Ben I died for you I died for you and no one will accuse no one can condemn because you're safe in the shadow of the Lord Jesus Christ Jesus intercedes Who can condemn? See, what can separate you uh, from the love of God? Nothing. Nothing. So let me ask you this question Are you convinced? Because that's what Paul says, verse 38. He says, For I am convinced, he says. And what's he convinced about? He says, I'm convinced that in all these things, the struggles, the persecution, the opposition, guilt, accusations, struggle with sin, suffering in a painful world, depression, failure, loneliness. I am convinced that we're more than conquerors, says Paul, verse 37, uber conquerors, that the glorious future that God has promised because of what he's done for us in his son is certain, that we will never be separated from God's love I am convinced so just as I finish up let me ground it by making some and now therefore sort of points how does this apply to our lives for now the first thing is there is a humility of certainty a humility of certainty normally we don't put those two things together but let me explain I remember now years and years and years ago, I sat down with a a leader of a denomination here in Adelaide just to talk about a whole variety of things. And one of the questions he asked me was this. He said, uh, do you believe you're going to heaven? And I said, yeah, yeah, I'm really confident that I am. And this is what he said to me. He said, you Bible-believing evangelicals are so arrogant. so arrogant and it's I get where he was coming from but actually I want to say it's the opposite if you're uncertain about whether or not you will stand in the presence of God on that final day if you're uncertain about that it's because you're arrogant your uncertainty is arrogant let me explain why Because it will be based on whether you think you've done enough to warrant being able to stand before God on that day of judgment. And if you think you might have potentially done enough to stand on your own merits before God on that day of judgment, can I say what extraordinary arrogance that is? Whereas the opposite is the case. You see, certainty about being able to stand before God on the day of judgment is based on humility because it's got nothing to do with you and everything to do with the fact that Jesus died for you and you rely on him. Now, understand there's, there's a way of being arrogant about that certainty but that is the reality. The promises of God give you extraordinary security Confident salvation because we look to Jesus. Second thing is this: Do you understand how this um, this section of the Bible operates like a spiritual GPS guidance system? Uh, most of us now operate without um, what they used to call them street directories. You know, like we don't have them anymore. Uh, we just operate on a, a system that's plugged either into our cars or on, on our phones that tells us where we go it's extraordinarily irritating isn't it as you're driving along they say you know as you come up to this next roundabout take the third exit right then as you get to the roundabout you think you're okay so suddenly they repeat the like it's incredibly irritating but I understand it gets you to where you're going to go and that's the point actually of this passage here Romans chapter 8 it actually helps you to see where you are in God's eternal plans for now Life in this world, it has. It's full of joy and delight and pleasure. And lots of really positive things. But also heartache and struggle and doubts. And maybe for you, that's where you're up to right now. But here's the thing God has told us the destination: glory. And by his spirit within us, he has promised we will negotiate this trip and he will bring us home, secured. Third thing is this. Do you understand how these promises underline the reality of being free from guilt and shame? I think the, the biggest battle most of us find as we live in this world is the battle with sin. Uh, the battle with their own failure to honour God or to treat other people properly and all the guilt and the shame that actually f- flow from that. Can I say in heaven that struggle will be completely ended, totally dealt with. But we're meant to experience a security of freedom from that right now. Did you pick up the, the tenses of the words in verse 30? predestined, called, justified, glorified. You see, the cross stands as the basis for relationship with God now so that we know that before God we are clean, pure, right with him. That's not just on the day of judgment. That is now and forever. And can I suggest wallowing in guilt and shame now is not what you're called to do. It is not what you're called to do if you're a follower of Jesus. And then finally, there is a security which flows from love, the love of God. It breeds security. Verse 39, Paul is saying, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's a man I knew uh, for a number of years who uh, suffered with debilitating depression, the black dog, and he'd had it from his teenage years uh, through to his professional life, his married life, and it was... depression that affected every aspect of his existence day by day and medication and doctor's treatments was enormously helpful uh, but it didn't completely deal with it and he lived with numbers of regrets and sadnesses about the way he treated people in that process and just his inability at points just to function in life. Uh, It was an extraordinary struggle for him in all sorts of different ways. I had the great privilege of preaching on this passage at his funeral because despite all the struggles and the heartache and the tears and the pain uh, that just dogged his existence, Romans chapter 8 was one I reckon he could just recite off heart And, and he kept going back to it and back to it and back to it because even when he was down in the very pits of life he would just with he'd just cling to the promises of God in the midst of his struggle just hang on do you ever think about what, what could separate you what could undermine your confidence in Jesus what would it be for you Well, Paul says there is nothing in all creation that will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. What can separate you from the love of God in Jesus? Nothing. Right? Nothing. Nothing. That's the answer. Can I pray for us? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, you're a God who rules from eternity to eternity and you're a God who makes promises. And Father, we know that uh, our lives are an extraordinary mixture. And we celebrate as a new baby is brought into our congregation this morning, as we rightly should, a gift from your hand. But we know in a a group this size, uh, it's a whole mixture of stuff. Uh, There are the joys and there are the heartaches. Uh, There are the struggles. uh, There's the depression. There's the doubts. There are the fears. There are the broken relationships. And Father, uh, some will be feeling down the pits And Father, we know that for every single one of us, uh, there are valleys, there are troughs, there are highs. It's a mixture. But Father, we thank you that enduring through all this is the certainty of your love demonstrated in the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who has given his life for ours. Uh, That is the, uh, the benchmark of your extraordinary love and generosity towards us that cannot be erased. And Father, we pray that as we uh, plumb the realities of that, that that we'll be able to cling to that, that you'll cling to us in the midst of our struggles uh, so that we'll keep being shaped by those core truths about your character of kindness towards us, that you will keep us in those days and that you'll sustain us. And Father, we thank you that you've given us uh, that perspective on all eternity, that shows us where we're going, Uh, promises secured now, that you will bring to their conclusion because you have sworn by your own name and given of yourself so that they might be achieved. And Father, we thank you that it's not to us or we know we'd be in big trouble, uh, but it's up to you. And we just want to rest in your promises to us and your son and keep affirming those. So, Father, we commend ourselves to you. We pray you'll give us a grace and generosity towards each other as we uh, go together on the road, uh, that you'll help us to keep supporting one another and pointing one another to you and to the security we have in you. Uh, Help us to be that sort of community uh, that draws near to your care and love and concern for us in the Lord Jesus Christ and relies on it. Father, we commend ourselves to you. In Jesus' name. Amen.